Well, this morning we are continuing on our series entitled No Nonsense Christianity, taken from the book of James in the New Testament. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have so enjoyed listening to Dan the last three weeks. Really great ministry, and I've I've listened to one live last week, but uh, two before that on podcast. And today we're building on what Dan has taught over, over those three weeks. James, typical James, he deals with very practical uh, subjects and he deals with it in a no-nonsense manner. And his objective is to bring Christians through into spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is one of those things that's often misunderstood. Some people think that you know, it has to do with age. Well, it hasn't got anything at all to do with age. You can be a, an older person and not yet uh, mature in Christ. You can be a spiritual babe. It hasn't got anything to do with the length of time that you've been a Christian either. And it hasn't got anything to do with um, being able to quote the Bible and quote verses. But it has everything to do with living a life of trust and obedience in God's ways and becoming more like the Lord Jesus. So we're going to read um, the next few verses in our studies. Today is uh, week four, and uh, we're going to be in James for 15 weeks in all. So we're still in chapter one, and if you would um, read with me, please, from verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own sinful desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Amen. There was a rather overweight man who always stopped at the bakery on his way to work every morning to pick up goodies for his own coffee break. But after a trip to the doctors, he was was advised to go on a strict diet. He managed to resist the temptation for many weeks. It was a huge struggle. And then one day he got out of bed and he had this idea. Maybe God wants me to go to the bakery this morning and buy cakes for all of the office staff. After all, they're doing such a good job. So he told the Lord that he would only stop in front of the bakery if the Lord would provide for him a parking spot directly in front of the bakery. And sure enough, there was a parking spot available right in front of the bakery after going around the block eight times. (laughs) Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist anything except temptation. And James writes here, in verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God 
has promised to those who love him. Now the original word that uh, James uses here in the Greek is just one word and yet we have two words. Um, the New Living Translation hedges its bets. It's not really sure which one, Paul, uh, which one James is referring to because you see it has two different meanings. The Greek word can actually mean testings. You know, in the sense that God allows us to experience certain hardships to develop our faith. But that same word can also mean temptations. It can mean the negative sense that we are tempted to fail. As someone once said, through the tests of life, God desires that we become better and Satan desires that we become bitter. And as I say, what the New Living Translation does here is actually includes both words. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And then he tells us that there's a prize or reward for enduring temptation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. In other words, blessing or happiness comes from having your life under control. To be able to say no to temptation produces a blessedness in your life. And James says that we will receive a crown of life, which is his way of saying abundant life, a great life, a secure life, an assured life, a blessed life. That's what he is saying there. And you see, I have sadly seen many people's lives wrecked because they said yes to something that they should have said no to. See, many people's lives wrecked through that. I've observed many friends destroy their lives because they were unable to say no to the sexual advances of a woman who was not their wife. And sadly, some of those friends were pastors and church leaders. Down through the years, they served Christ sacrificially. They had a genuine faith. They worked hard. They loved their flock. They led others to salvation. They baptized people and so forth. But in a moment of madness, it was a moment when they said yes, when they should have said no, and they lost everything. Sometimes their marriages, their families, their calling, their vocation, their living, their respect, their reputation, their dignity, and also their happiness. And I guess the question this morning that we need to ask ourselves, if happiness and abundant life can be experienced through having our lives under control and not giving in to temptation, the question is this, how can I resist temptation? It's a very practical subject this morning. And James is as practical and down to earth as ever. He gives us five points, five principles. The first thing he says is be realistic. And that's something that we need to do. We need to face the fact that we're all tempted. In verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Note what James writes there. He says, when tempted. He doesn't say, if tempted. It's when. Temptation is inevitable. Everyone's tempted. You are tempted. I'm tempted. We're all tempted. Probably we're tempted every day. We never get too old for being tempted. We never attain to such a spiritual height that we are not, te- we are not tempted any longer. In fact, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, uh, 10, 13. 
No temptation, he says, has seized you except what is common to man. Tell you what, if you're going to underline something in your Bibles, underline those words, common to man. It means that we're all in the same boat. None of us is exempt. And it's also important for us to know that, um, that it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, not at all. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus, that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So it's not you know, a sin to be tempted, it's a sin to give in to that temptation. You know, when I first became a Christian, it's many years ago now, when I first became a Christian, I remember thinking that many Christians were quite dishonest. You know, they weren't, uh, you know, they would never rob a bank. They wouldn't fiddle their, tax, uh, their taxes. And they wouldn't make a false insurance claim. But they were dishonest in other ways. Many of them, I found, wore religious masks. And that's dishonesty. It really is. It's trying to pretend to be someone or something that you're not. And at first I was looking at some of these other Christians as a new Christian. I'm thinking, they live on another planet to me. I'm not like that. They're amazing. They're so wonderful. You know, sometimes I thought they could walk on water. I think they might have thought they could walk on water. They never appeared to be anxious. They never shouted at the wife or kicked the cat. They never got tempted. In fact, I used to think that if there was ever a vacancy in the Holy Trinity, they may be putting in their CVs. But in time, I realized that they were made of the same frail flesh as me. And we all are. We all are. They weren't some super saints living some kind of ethereal existence. But they also got tempted. And Paul says it is common to man. It's not a matter of if you get tempted, it's a matter of when. So the first thing that James has to say here is be realistic. And that's one of the things I love about this church family. In this church family, what you see is what you get. No airs and graces. And I love you for it, I really do. You know, no putting on masks in order to try to pretend to be this or that kind of person. And that's something I see in you and I, I applaud you for that. What else does James tell us? Well, firstly, be realistic, and secondly, be responsible. Verse 13 again. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, it's a trait that I found in most people down through the years, and I would say that this applies to Christians as well as to those who are not Christians. And that is a lack of desire to own up to their mistakes. It would appear to me that many people shy away from taking responsibility for their own actions, for their own foul-ups sometimes. And it's so easier, isn't it, to blame someone else? You know, to blame society at large, to blame the government, to blame the environment, to blame your parents, to blame your genes, to blame your wife, to blame the devil, and even possibly to blame God. Remember the story of Adam and Eve. God confronts Adam over his sin. And what does Adam do? Well, he takes it like a man. Blames his wife. 
He says in Genesis 3, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from this tree and I ate it. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Passing the buck. Not accepting responsibility. But if you listen to Adam's words carefully, it's not just his wife that he is accusing, that he is actually accusing God. The woman, you, you put here with me. In other words, if you had not put this woman here, I wouldn't have sinned. It's not my fault. It's your fault, God. As someone once said, the problem wasn't the apple on the tree. The problem was with the pear on the ground. <laughs> Passing the buck. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Accepting responsibility for our own actions and often our own foul-ups is a sign of maturity. And the truth of the matter is that most of us will bring many problems onto ourselves. There are times that we make bad choices. There are times when we live outside of what is God's best for us. I just want to spend a few minutes now, possibly you may think going off on a slight tangent, but I felt that I couldn't ignore this subject this morning when I'm speaking on the subject of temptation. And that's the subject of internet pornography. And you might be thinking, Steve, it's a Sunday morning. Why on earth are you doing this? It, it, it isn't necessary. I believe it is. I believe it really is. A survey was done by uh, Christianity magazine a few months ago with some astonishing statistics. 42% of practicing Christians in the UK say they have a porn addiction. Over 50% admit viewing adult content online on a monthly basis. And I know what you're all thinking. Surely it must be Christians from other churches. 10% <laughs> of Christian men say they have paid for sex. 75% of Christian men view pornography on a monthly or less regular basis. 30% of church leaders access porn on the internet more than once a month. Now, we're all adults here. Let's talk about this. You know, some years ago, before the advent of the World Wide Web, before the internet, pornography was only available in the corner shop. On the top shelf, there were the glossy adult magazines. And I remember as a teenager... You know, always trying to take a, a sneak peek and not having the guts really to ever go in and ask for a copy myself. It would have meant going into the shop when the shop was empty. It would have meant building up the courage to ask the shopkeeper for a copy and then hope that when you were doing the transaction, no one was ever going to come in your parents or neighbour or your big sister or the school teacher or someone from the community. It was every lad's nightmare that they would come face to face with their school teacher with a copy of Playboy in their hands. And I guess today, you know, we're all adults, I guess that there are some guys who are 40 plus 
who know what I'm talking about with those temptations. But looking back, I am really, really, really glad it was made tough for us. I didn't have the guts. All I could, the best I could do was a sneak peek from the floor as a teenager. I am so glad it was tough for us. Because these days, if you want to get your hands on pornography, you just turn on your computer or smartphone. And the stuff that is being shown, excuse me for putting it this way, it isn't just some topless babe on the beach, but it's pretty hardcore stuff. And some people have a weakness when it comes to alcohol. They can't stop at one pint, they've got to have six. And similarly, some people have a weakness when it comes to pornography. It's no good blaming God and saying, oh, you made me like this, you are responsible. But we actually need to take responsibility for ourselves. And it's in this area, and if this area is a problem to you, then what I would say, very practical stuff here this morning, you need to become willing to be accountable to a trusted friend. To buy a program called Covenant Eyes. And what that does, it allows your friend to be notified of all the websites that you have been browsing during the week. That is a great deterrent. Knowing that a close friend is going to see the websites that you've been browsing, the very thought of it would actually cause most people to turn off their computers. A word to parents, if I may. Please take this seriously. If you've got parents, you know, your, your kids are teenagers, your kids are younger than that. Even if your kids are preschool, this is something that you need to think about in advance. Please take your responsibility. Don't abdicate your responsibility for your kids. Your kids undoubtedly will tell you that you are over the top. That you are a religious fruit and nutcase. They will tell you you don't need to do this, that they are never going to do um, browsing of these kind of sites. I would say take the flack. And if you have one computer in your house, and it's the computer which is the family computer, make sure it's in a room that is accessible for the whole family, not in a bedroom. And if it's laptops and smartphones and iPads that your kids have, talk to them about this. And make sure that there are locks on them. You see, we need to accept responsibility for all of this stuff which is affecting many people's lives today. We really do. So the question is, how can I resist temptation? Well, firstly, we need to be realistic. We need to be realistic and say, <laughs> you know, this is a matter of when, not if. And secondly, we've got to be responsible. No passing the buck. No blaming others. No blaming God but actually owning up to this responsibility in our own lives and for the life of our kids. James's third principle is be ready. You see, when temptation comes, be ready for it, be prepared for it. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Jesus says, Mark 14:38, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. In other words, be prepared. And James here in verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. And then in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Underline that word, deceived. Temptation doesn't warn you in advance. Catches you by surprise. And sometimes the most vulnerable we can be is in a time of success, personal success in our lives. Or perhaps a time when we're even flying high in our relationship with Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. I don't know if any of you have heard of an old circus performer by the name of uh, Bobby Leach. Bobby Leach went over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. You know, some of our guys here, Nathan, what do you think of that? You know, sort of, uh, you were there last week. Is that a wise thing to do? (laughs) Not a wise thing to do. Went over Niagara Falls in a barrel and lived to tell the tale. The great irony is a little time later he slipped on an orange peel and broke his leg. (laughs) His leg became gangrenous and he needed to have it amputated. It's the little things in life that catch us unawares. And James is saying here, be ready, don't be deceived. So again, this is very, very practical, very down-to-earth stuff this morning. You know, the scriptures are teaching us very, very, you know, sort of earthy stuff. So how are we to get ready for temptation? I suppose the answer to that is by understanding how it operates. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that we need to be aware of the devil's schemes so that the devil might not outwit us. You know, the only thing that we could say good about the devil is that he's consistent. He's been using the same bag of tricks for 2,000 years and longer. And James provides us in the next few verses of four steps that the devil uses in order to tempt you. Verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. The first step in temptation is desire. You know, most desires that we have are okay, absolutely. We couldn't live without desires. Desire to eat, desire to drink, to sleep, the sexual desire, desire to achieve in life. And God gives those desires as something which are good. They're good desires. But any desire which is out of control uh, becomes destructive. And when you become obsessed by it, or when it starts to control you, or when you're consumed by it, whether it's food, or work, or having fun, or sex, or money, when quite legitimate desires are out of control, they become a problem. The second step is deception. James says he is dragged away and enticed. And the word which James uses uh, for enticed here is, is a fisherman's term, and it means lured by bait. 
the secret of great fishing, I've been told, and I've been talking to Brian Bailey earlier on, is, is the bait. I've never been fishing in my life, so I don't know these things. And, you know, Brian tells me that, you know, a, a hungry fish will have anything that you throw at it. But also there's a truth in that the right kind of bait is needed for the right kind of fish. And you don't catch a fish with a bare hook. But you need something on that. You need a bait. And the right kind of bait for the right kind of fish. And the devil knows his bait. He knows our hot buttons. He knows our weaknesses. And you see, all the stuff that I've said this morning about internet pornography might have left many of you utterly mystified. You may be thinking, what, what on earth is that all about? That's not me. That's not anybody I know. What's that all about? But you see, your weakness in temptation might be in some other place. And the point that I'm making here is this. The devil knows what we will fall for. And the crazy thing is that often as Christians we see the hook. We know that it's a temptation. But what do we do? We keep on nibbling. People have said to me in the past, Steve, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm an adult. I, I, I'm not going to get hurt. I know how far to go. And on most occasions, that is not the case. So desire turns into deception. We deceive ourselves. And deception turns into the next stage, which is disobedience. James writes, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. In other words, whatever we fill our minds with will result often in action. It starts with the imagination, with the thought life, and then it moves into actuality. You see, that's why I believe that pornography is so pernicious. It's not, you know, sort of me being sort of a holier-than-thou kind of guy at the frontier and sort of wagging the finger. I'm not into that. I know my own shortcomings. But pornography is pernicious because it starts in the thought life and then it's often enacted upon. You know, people say it isn't a problem, it's not doing any, any harm. I would say that's an incredibly naive view because it does harm to us as individuals. But also, it does harm to the people who are involved in pornography because many of them, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, are people who have been trafficked, people who have been kidnapped and trafficked and made to do and perform sexual acts in front of the camera. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Pornography lowers our guard. You see, what starts in our minds eventually comes out in our lives. As someone once said, what you flirt with, you will fall for. And that's the whole purpose when you think of it behind um, television advertising, for example. They try to get you to imagine something. Imagine yourself driving a new Mercedes-Benz or with a, a new iPhone 6. Is that the latest? I don't know. Or on a Mediterranean cruise. They know that if they can get your imagination, they've got you. And if that didn't work, then people wouldn't advertise at all. So desire leads to deception, and deception leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to death, which is stage four. Sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, spiritual separation from God. And some Christians, let's be honest, are like dead men walking. 
The reason for that is that they don't have a relationship with God. The reason for that is that they've not got a control of their thought life. They've not got a control of their lives. And they've given in to temptation too many times. Now what James does here is very interesting. Because in verse 17, it seems as if James switches gear. He starts talking about the goodness of God. He's been talking about temptation for so long and now he's starting talking about the goodness of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So what's going on here? James is talking about temptation. Now he's talking about the goodness of God. How does that follow? He's talking about something negative and then something very positive. And the reason for that, that this is the next step in overcoming temptation. So first of all, he says, be realistic, be responsible, be ready, and now be refocused. Let's work this one out. If temptation begins with our inner thought life, then changing what we think about something is a way to overcome it. Would you agree with that? That makes sense, doesn't it? If it starts there with the thought life, then change what you're thinking about to overcome that. Turn your attention on something else. Shift your thoughts. Change your mind. Move over to something that you... Something else. By the way, they're not under conviction. They told me they had to leave at this point. All right. <laughs> I just want to clear that up with uh, Sue and uh, Vic there. Just, just in case of you, you know, think, oh my word. <laughs> they were under conviction this morning. They had to leave early. Yeah. But when you see them, don't tell them I said anything. Just ask them, were you under conviction? All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. And this, this point of refocusing our thinking is exactly what Paul says to the Philippians. That great verse. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So refocus your thinking. And that's what James is encouraging us to do here. He's still on the subject of temptation. But he is saying, get your eyes off the negative and put your eyes on the the positive, on the goodness of God. Because whatever gets your attention, gets you. Whatever gets your attention, gets you. And whatever we resist, persists. So stop fighting the temptation in and of itself and start thinking about the grace and the goodness and the majesty and the magnificence and the forgiveness and the faithfulness of God. Declare daily. I think I told you before that whenever I walk to church in the morning, I walk around the corner and the first thing I do is, this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't put my hands up in the air, by the way. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Announce, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. Proclaim with assurance that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You see, when you refocus, sometimes it will mean you physically removing yourself from a situation. There's an old saying, 
You know, if you don't want to get stung, get away from the bees. Yeah? If you don't want to get stung, get away from the bees. Maybe you change that channel on the television. Go for a walk. Maybe you change jobs. Remember the story of Joseph, you know, the guy with a coat of many colors. And the temptation that he was up against was Mrs. Potiphar. What he did was he left his coat and ran. And I've probably told you this on other occasions, that sometimes the best way of safeguarding yourself against temptation is found in the name of two Old Testament books. Exodus or Numbers. Think about it. For Joseph, it was Exodus. He got out of that place as fast as his legs could take him. And for others, it's Numbers. It's that making a choice that you will never be left alone with a certain person. You might not have done anything wrong. You might have kept on to your integrity. But you know in your heart of hearts that there is chemistry, if I can put it that way. There is chemistry between you and this other person. You know it and she knows it, or you know it and he knows it. And all I would say is, if you've detected that, don't trust yourself. I remember talking to a guy who was married to a lady who started attending this church many, many years ago. I'm not sure if she was a Christian. She wasn't with us for very long, but he certainly wasn't. And their marriage ended in divorce because of his unfaithfulness. And I remember talking to this guy, and I remember him telling me of the three-second rule. He told me that on one occasion he needed to go to a client in the evening and there was chemistry between him and her. And he got to the front door and she asked him in for a glass of wine. As I say, there was chemistry there. It was through their body language. It was through their eye contact. And he told me, and I agree with him, that he had three seconds he had three seconds to decide whether or not to accept that invitation. And he took the wrong choice and decided to call temptation Exodus on Numbers. And finally, James takes us to verse 18. The final point is to be reborn. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. In the message it says, he brought us to life using the true word. And I would say that the single most important principle in breaking habits in our lives and getting control of our lives back is by giving our, the control of our lives to, to God. That is the most important thing. Being born again, becoming a Christian... I believe gives you a new capacity to resist temptation. And I've spoken to many, many people who, whose lives are on a downward spiral of addiction, unable to break the cycle by their own willpower. And when they invited God in, by his power, they broke those cycles. You know, we sing a song, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And that's not only a, a, a catchy worship song, but it's a great biblical truth that we will not be able to say no to temptation until first we can say yes to God. We all have weak spots. Yes, we all do. 
We all, in some areas, lack self-control. For some people, it's their temper. For other people, it's food. For others, it's spending. Maybe for others, it's drink or drugs or pornography. The good news is that God always responds to sincere hearts. He is a God of grace. When we come and we confess our sins to him, he is a God who is faithful and just, and he is willing to forgive our sins, to make us clean again, to wipe the slate clean, to make us new in him. He gives us the inner strength to carry on and to overcome. There's a great promise in 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. That's a great promise. Some people might say, well, I just couldn't help myself. God says, quite simply, that's not true. You are depending on yourself instead of depending on me. You see, we need to meet God halfway on this and he needs our cooperation. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, we can't really pray that if at the same time we are courting temptation in our lives. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, we cannot keep the birds from flying over us, but we can keep them from making a nest in our hair. So how do we overcome? What resources has God given us? Firstly, and this might sound ever so basic, fellowship with other Christians. We're not meant to be in the battle by ourselves. And in addition to Sunday church, I would encourage you, I would urge you, please be a part of a life group or some other kind of group that you can have fellowship, where you can go a little bit deeper, where there can be mutual accountability, where you can talk about your life and your, and your faith journey at a gut level. You see, journeying with others is such a wonderful gift given to us by God. I've come across many people over the years who said to me, oh, you haven't got to go to church, or you haven't got to you know, sort of mix with other Christians to be, to be a Christian. Well, I suppose technically that's right, but it's almost like saying, you know, oh, you haven't got to go ever watch Manchester United at Old Trafford or on the box to be a Man United supporter. You know, it's, it's the same kind of logic. I say, why not? Because it is such an incredible blessing. Just imagine living the Christian life on your own. And some people effectively do that. Because sometimes they will come to church on a Sunday. And that's it. We need one another. We need that mutual uh, strengthening and prayer and conversation. The second thing I would say is get into the Bible Jesus said, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it really is so important to fill our minds with this book, to understand it, to memorize it, to let it become a part of us. And if you know the truth, it will keep us from being deceived. And very practically, as I finish this morning, well, it's this afternoon now. Sorry about that. Let us take responsibility for ourselves. If some of the things that I've been speaking about this morning have a reality in your life, then I do encourage you, get Covenant Eyes or some other software. 
Tell a trusted friend about your difficulties. Ask them to pray for you and to hold you accountable. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because you will, as James put it, have the crown of life. The struggles will be something of the past and you will move on beyond that. And you will know and see and experience God in new, wonderful ways. And finally, parents, please take responsibility for your children. They won't be happy. I can tell you that now. little word of prophecy in advance. All right? They're not going to be happy with that. But they weren't happy as toddlers either when you stopped them from putting their fingers in electrical sockets, were they? They weren't happy about that either. really is worth it. Because many lives are being destroyed by um, these things. Let's pray together.